Hello there, fellow peregrinos. Thanks once again for tuning in to El Camino de Santiago Pilgrims podcast, where we talk about planning, practicalities, and preparation for life on the road to Santiago, and tips, tricks, and hacks to make life along the way a little bit easier and a little bit more enjoyable. Today, we're talking to a lovely lady called Alison Hansel from Staley Bridge in the UK. She's going to tell us about lots of things, her favorite Alberg, her favorite town and city, and the one thing she took with her on the way that she'd definitely leave behind. All of that to come, but we started the interview with me, as always, asking her about how she decided to walk the Camino and why. Here's what she had to say. Okay, so why did I decide to walk the Camino? So the truth was um, probably about three or four years ago, I totally lost my faith. So I stopped going to church and I can say that I was in a complete rut. Two and a half years ago, to add to that, my best friend took his own life and it completely destroyed me. So um, I was tormented with the things that I could have done differently in the days leading up to his death as I spoke to him the night before it happened. Um, And it completely destroyed me, completely. So um, on the back of that, I decided to go on holiday on my own, never done it before, waited till my youngest turned 16, And I thought, right, it's my time now. So against all my friends and family's wishes, I thought, I'm going to go and tour Egypt on my own, which I went and did. And I absolutely loved it. And there I met a girl from South Africa. She lives in Cape Town called Nancy. And we clicked straight away, spent the full time together and said, you know, should we go and tour Morocco next year? So we met up in Marrakesh. And we toured Morocco for two weeks and then we were talking and we both said, you know what, we'd like to do a walking holiday. And we said, should we do the Camino? (laughs) Thinking this is far out. So we committed to it and we said, well, yeah, let's do it. It helps us get over the holly blues. And that was it. So when we returned, we started to research it and we put a schedule together and we went. (laughs) So, so when you made the when you made that it. right, so when you made that decision to make uh, walk the Camino, was it Morocco or Egypt where you eventually came up with a plan? No, we was in we was in Morocco. Right, okay. we was in Morocco, and yeah. and my friend said, "Oh, I fancy doing a walking holiday." So I said, "Oh, oh, so do I. I I'd like to do that as well." So when that came together, we was like, and my friend Nancy, she would have liked to have walked it in May do that with being a teacher the summer holidays are to be i'm meant to do it with you so let's do it when you're off as well so that was when we decided so fast forward to this summer you've just walked the camino um did that time on the road give you some new food for thought regarding the loss of your friend did it help you come to terms with it um, how did it help you make sense of it all? Well, I just think in the passing of my friend, I don't think you ever get over it. You just learn to live with it. And his picture was on my wall. I, I had to take that down about two New Year's Eves ago. And it was just, I felt like it was a burden. And when I researched the Camino, um, they said that at Cruz de Ferro, that you can leave your burdens there are a burden. And I thought I had my sights set on that. So what I did before I went, I had um, like a little pebble that I used to keep on my desk that my friend had bought me. So I actually wrote his name on it and that was going to be me letting go. So even though the climb to Cruz de Ferro was absolutely unbelievable, I knew that when I got to the top, I could leave that stone there And it actually worked. It was like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. So that's what I had in mind. That's what I set out to do. And that's what I actually did. And would you say that's the way you finally found some peace? I did. I did. 
And, he, and I wasn't sad either, and I thought I would be. Like, because when you arrive at Cruise de Ferro, there's no signs to say, oh, well, it's 100 like metres away, it's this. You just turn a corner through some trees, and it's there. So it was quite overwhelming. And as soon as I saw it, I thought, right, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And I did it. And I just think it was so magical because Nancy and I were there together. And without even saying anything, we knew that we had to go to the Save the Foot of the Saviour on our own. So we just dropped our bags, dropped our poles. And Nancy said, Ali, you go first. So I like climbed up to the top and I just sat there. I just sat there for a few minutes and I gave him to God. That's what I did. And then when I'd finished, I came down and then Nancy went up for her own reasons. And it was just perfect. It was a perfect day, perfect surroundings. And I couldn't have wanted to do it any differently. In some ways, you kind of, that was your own personal send off to him. It was, it was. And it was lovely. And you mentioned uh, that you'd lost faith a couple of years before you actually walked the Camino. Um, yeah. Was that because of what happened to your friend or was it something else? And did your time on the Camino and maybe coming to peace again with that episode of your life, um, did that, that reinforce your, your faith again? How, how, is, how is your relationship now with, 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 your, with faith? I just think that over the years, especially my adult years, Things happen in your life. I've got two grown-up boys, 18 and 24, and things have happened with them. And I've stood by them like I would do as a loving mother. I am a single parent. And I just think when certain things happen in your life, like with friends, with family, with what's going on, I've questioned, well, is there a God? Is there really a God? And I felt I couldn't stand in church and go through communion and sing when I had all this ill feeling inside. And, and I did have ill feeling, and my parents never pressured me, their churchgoers, my sisters never pressured me, they go to church as well. They just left me, and I felt like it was something that I had to figure out for myself. And I'm thinking, when I started on the Camino, like I said on one of my posts, I didn't go with a broken heart, but my heart was healed in so many ways. And that was the truth. I'm thinking, I wished everybody in the world behaved like they do on the Camino and problems would just be at a minimal. I really, really do believe that because the kindness and the compassion that Nancy and I were shown throughout our journey I couldn't write it, and it'd be very, very difficult for me to explain because it wasn't a thing, it was a feeling, like mm. every step of the way, every step of the way. So in actual fact, the Camino did reinforce your faith because it reinforced your faith in humanity in some ways? Definitely, definitely. I mean, from it was from the locals who, you know, were just like... I don't know, tending to the gardens, tending the crops, to somebody in an albergue who, who came to us, to a church. And there was just so many magical moments. And even seeing, um, you know, robins, the bird. I mean, I never thought in a month of Sundays I would see robins in Spain. And I saw four. And it wasn't just I saw them in a tree. They actually was about two foot in front of me. And it, it was it was moments like that that I thought, you know what, we're being so looked after. And I think it stemmed what from the, sorry, what did what did the robins signify for you? What they're well, of? I just think that we're being looked after. I never thought I'd saw I'd see a robin in Spain. And I think it all stemmed from going to the Pilgrims Mass that we attended in Burgos where we started. Um, it was at 7.30 and I said to Nancy, I said, I think we really need to go. And she was like, right, you know, that's all right. And I was absolutely overwhelmed. And they had four, maybe five priests in, um, in, the, in the mass. So it was like every fifth, you know, paragraph you'd understand because it was in English. 
and they invited us up for communion. I've been confirmed, so I was going to go. Nancy was a little bit reluctant and I was just overwhelmed and I said, you've got to go because I think this is going to be like the starting point and this is going to be the pivotal point that's going to protect us. And she did go and it was absolutely unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And I mean, half of it was in Spanish, well, probably three quarters of it. But I seem to understand nonetheless. I seem to understand. Yeah, you got the feeling and the and the, the positive vibe from it. Yeah, definitely. Well, fantastic. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that from even just these these opening, um, this opening, the opening of our conversation that you've managed to find peace, number one, for something that sounded like yeah. a very traumatic experience in your life. Mm-hmm. And number two, that you've uh, restored your faith not only in, in, you know, religion, but also in humanity, which is really important. And the, yeah. the journey as a whole helped you uh, regain that. Um, let's talk about your journey as well. Where exactly did you start and why? Okay, so we started in Burgos. Uh, the only reason was um, was the time that we had to complete it. And not knowing how our bodies would deal with the walking, uh, that's why we chose Burgos. And we also factored in two rest days. Uh, one was in Leon and one was in Saria. And we also factored in buffer days at the end to use, in, you know, in case any of us got injured. And we had to shorten our days. And if all went well, we'd spend a few days in Madrid. So that's why we started off in Burgos. So glad we did, because it's a beautiful city. It was just so lovely. And we spent so much time, you know, walking round. We went to the Pilgrim's Mass. And that was the one and only municipal albergue we stayed in. Right. I will say that. Okay, so maybe you said you had more <laughs> bit of a luxurious stay along the way. Um, for those who wanted to start in Burgos, where did you fly to? And how did you get to Burgos? Well, uh, Nancy and I flew to Madrid. So this is a point to the listeners that if one of you is going on a European flight, one of you is going international, don't think that you're going to meet in the same place in the airport because I was in Terminal 4 and Nancy was in Terminal 1, which is like one city to the next. So I just said to Nancy, stay put and I'll try and get the bus. So I had to get a 15-minute bus ride to her So, yes, we met in Madrid, and then we got a tram into the centre, and then we ended up getting a bus that we booked on Rome to Rio. Okay. Um, We got a bus to Burgos, so that's how we got there. Do you remember the name of the bus company, just out of, uh, was it Alsa? Yeah, well, we booked, yeah, Alsa, and we booked it through Rome to Rio, and it was brilliant. It was easy to find. They had Wi-Fi on the bus, they had USB ports, they had little screens that give you water and headphones. It was absolutely brilliant, and it just took us straight to Burgos, and it was lovely. Okay, fantastic. So those who are going to um, look into starting Burgos, all you got to do, as Alison says, is you can fly to Madrid. Um, if you are both flying in on different flights, you might have to find a meeting point in the airport. Um, get into the city centre and get on a bus um, that you can book through Rome to Rio, Dot com and yeah the bus company is called Alsa and their website is alsa punto sorry I'm speaking Spanish there uh, um, dot es and you can book your ticket on there so you mentioned that you'd gone to the municipal alberg in Burgos which mm. you absolutely loved um, oh <laughs> So let, let's well. start. Let's start maybe at the rawest end of the Camino. Sounds like maybe you fancied something a little bit more upmarket after that. But how was your experience of that? Um, what, how did you survive that that night in the Alberg in the municipal? And how much did you pay, by the way, if you remember? Right, I, th- I think it was about eight euros. Sorry, can you repeat that? Which is not that. a lot. It it was eight euros to stay in it yeah but we wanted to experience the putting your backpacks outside to form a line because i believe that that's how you secure your place in the queue if you put your backpack in the line then you can go and have breakfast or lunch or whatever time it will be until it opens so that's what we did and we went and had something to eat and i think it was 160 beds 
something mm -hmm. like that. Um, it was very, very dimly lit. Um, so I was on the top and Nancy was on the bottom bunk. There were plastic um, mattresses. So quite uncomfortable, it's very, sticky. very warm. It's sticky, yeah. Yeah, very sticky. And it was very, very dimly lit. So you couldn't really see anything. But there was a positive thing to come out of that because I met my first pilgrim friend, um, a man from Christian who was originally from Mexico. So we exchanged details with him and had a chat with him. Um, so the first night, didn't get that much sleep, even though I wore silicone earplugs and an eye mask. I think I heard everything. But I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it because... <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it again. It's if a good I had story to tell, isn't it? Yeah, good story to tell. Oh, yeah. If I had what would you say to those pilgrims you... that do that for thirty nights on the on the trot? How... Oh, they deserve a medal or a, 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 an extra award when they get to Santiago because it is something else. It, because even like even turning over in your bed, if you turn over, someone is telling you to shush. Really? Do you know it? Yeah, it's really? it, it's it, yeah, yeah. So and I, I remember saying to Nancy, you know, have you got like a something? And I asked her one question that had about six words in it, and there was a shh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so really I, funny because, like, I mean, I, I had kind of a similar opinion and experience of of um, my first night was in Rontes Valles, which is you know way back in the Pyrenees kind of thing, but. Um, I found that after two or three nights, the first night was really unsettling. Um, and, uh, yeah, even in Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port in France, that was a tough one. But, um, yeah, after a while, you just get used to it. So I do appreciate, especially if you've only got two weeks, that you might not want it to seem like uh, such an ordeal, that it's, you know, it's your holiday at the end of the day. Um, but for those that are, you know, planning on staying in Alberg for a month or so, you do find that you, you do get used to it. And though the first couple of nights are unsettling, um, you're so tired by the time you get there um, on your third mm. and fourth and fifth days. And, you know, as you move on to a month on the road, if you're doing the whole, you know, from France to, if you're doing from France to, to Santiago, finish there, that you do get used to it. But I completely understand why you... Um, wouldn't want to do that if you were if you didn't have the luxury of time and it, it was you know a, a holiday and you didn't want it to seem like an ordeal so by the sounds of it you you know you tried it it wasn't for you and um you know you can tell the story and that that's an uh you know that's a a funny thing in itself and like you say the plus positive is you made a friend as well so um, yeah i did yeah. and they actually emailed me throughout my Camino, and he was saying, he was like, advising us to go here and go there, which was really nice. And we've kept in touch ever since, so that's really good. And we only met him on, like, the first day. Brilliant. So that was really nice. Right, so you made a friend, but something that definitely isn't a pilgrim's friend um, are blisters. Um, did you get them? If you did, how did you deal with them? Any coping strategies, any tips you can give to those who are about to go on the road? Okay, so blisters, I didn't get a single one i am a walker well i am a walker and a creature of habit um we met up nancy and i in madrid we was obviously whatsapping each other with our packing lists and things we'd forgot things that you know we had to remind each other to take and um i decided and this is the truth that i would buy five pairs of cotton socks from Amazon, and they cost me £2.99. There were black socks, cotton trader socks, and I wore Solomon trekking old tra uh, trail trainers that I'd had for two years, and I thought, I'm going to stick with this. So my friend Nancy, she said, well, I've bought in gingy socks. For those that don't know, they're like gloves for feet, where all your toes are in separate compartments. She bought some Merrill walking shoes, a size bigger, and she bought double line socks. And I just thought, I could do this, but from experience, I thought, I'm just going to stick with what I know and just leave it at that. And I bought black socks because I thought, if I'm going to have to rinse them out in cold water with a bar of soap, it's not going to show up the dirt. I'm not going to have to scrub and scrub and scrub. So I just stuck to that. So I did not get a single blister. 
and my friend lost three or four toenails. She lost four toenails and she had um, a bullet wound blister on one foot. And on the other, other foot, she had like a blister, well, it looked like the continent of Africa. And this was even though she wore those special yeah. gingy blister socks? Yeah. Okay. I just stuck to wearing mm. cotton socks and then I changed them regularly. I, you know, stopped whenever I felt like I wanted to. I took my socks off. I dried them on my backpack, put a fresh pair on because I read on the forum somewhere that your feet are going to get sweaty where possible like air your socks, air your feet, and I stuck them in streams, in brooks, wherever I could. If we stopped for, like, a drink or orange juice, I took my shoes off, took my socks off and changed them for a fresh pair. That's the best thing you can do. So your advice for busting blisters or not or preventing them, we'd say, would be change your socks regularly, have clean ones ready to put on as well, air your yeah. feet wherever you can. And Definitely. you also, like you said, you'd had those um, trail running shoes for nearly two years. So you two stuck years. to what you, you knew. Your feet were already toughened up to them. And what about your friends, just out of interest, um, the Merrill walking shoes, which you said were a size uh, bigger. Um, were they new ones or? Were they... No, she had, she had worn the mid. She had worn the mid. But, like, prior to going, we was talking about our first aid kits. And, like, with every payday from about, like, Christmas. Yeah. So when we went, I bought a pack of Compede from the UK. So I must have had Compede to, I don't know, well, everybody on the Camino probably could have used them. I took that many um, just in case. But she, like, it's probably, like, three days in, and she started getting, like, a hot spot on her foot that yeah. just developed and then I went for a shower like one evening and I came out and she went I've cut the top off it thought, oh oh dear and she had this like raw red bullet wound probably Ouch. the size of a 50 pence piece yeah. just under her toes mm. and but I I was just I, I just felt fortunate because we saw some shocking blisters yeah, on the yeah. Camino yeah, I mean like you, you stuck to what shocking. you knew yeah yeah I know, and I felt like, you know, maybe, and I just said to her, you know, if we could swap a foot, I would gladly do that, you know, like to ease her pain. Because I felt like, I don't know why I didn't get any, but I just, like, stuck with what I knew. And uh, my sister's partner, Anthony, he's an avid walker, and he said, he gave me some advice about blisters, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to stick with what I know and, and stick to it, and that's what I did. And I didn't get any. So you stuck to the winning formula and uh, luckily <laughs> you walked uh, in pain-free bliss. I mean, it's yeah. interesting because um, in the you, you probably won't have heard it, but in, in the episode before this one, I did a, an episode especially on blisters because I, I did see some absolutely terrible blisters along the way. I've, I've had blisters in all my Caminos, whether I've worn uh, boots that I've broken in or not. And um, it's uh, definitely a, a problem that plagues us all along the way. So you were definitely very, very fortunate. And also you've gone against some advice there in, in that I've seen many blister advice articles and heard podcasts. And they all say to, to not wear cotton socks because that, that they sweat more. But by the sounds of it, you were changing them, changing them regularly and you had clean socks to put on and you were giving your feet yeah. air. Um, so... It really is. I think it, it's if everyone knew the perfect formula for not getting blisters, no one would get them. So I think it is just a case of trial and error, finding what works for you, um, trying out some of the advice. And you'd obviously, you know, um, broken in your boots and you knew what works for you and it's worked for you again. So um, it did. yeah, so you were very, very fortunate. Um, so um, let's talk about let's dive into um something else in your kit list. Um, was there one thing that you, you took with you that you think you couldn't have done without and you would recommend that all people walking the Camino take with them? Right. Well, there was a couple of things. I know you just said one. but Give us um, two. Two's I, better than I one. I know. I know. I took um, over-the-counter Nitol one a night. 
So there were like sleeping tablets and I did share them out. <laughs> so there were other people that were other pilgrims that couldn't sleep. And I did take one about half an hour before I was about to go to sleep. I could not have done without those. And also I took, um, you know, the emergency ponchos. Yeah. So I was in Tesco, like my local supermarket, probably about three months before I was about to fly out to Madrid and they were on sale for like 60 pence or something. Wow. And I bought three. And I am so, so glad I took them because it absolutely poured down probably about 10 times in the four weeks I was out there. And I just think it was easy. Dragged them out of the pocket of the back of my backpack and it covered the whole of me. Yeah. And, it, and I wasn't bothered about spoiling them. And as soon as it stopped raining, I just ripped it off, like put it in the elastics at the back of my backpack and they dried out. Could not have done without Nitol and emergency ponchos. My friend took like a proper jacket, but when it started to rain, she had to take um, a rucksack off. She had to get it out. She had to put it on, zip it up. Then she had to put a waterproof over a rucksack. So time-consuming. Emergency ponchos, you cannot go wrong. And in all and that time... As soon as we ended up... Yeah, in all that time, you're getting soaked as well while you're trying to get something out of your backpack. So. Yeah, and then as soon as I got to Madrid, I just took them all out of my bag and put them in the bed. Brilliant. Emergency ponchos, you cannot go wrong with these things. Best 60p you ever spent, by the sound of it. Yeah, it was, it was. Or it should was. I say £1.80? But, um, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting you say that, that um, you have to have anything waterproof that, that you might need at the drop of a hat, easily accessible in your backpack. Because um, I made that mistake as well um, when I was walking the Camino Portuguese with, with my fiance. It started to throw it down because I, I got very complacent. It had been sunny most of the time. Um, it started to throw it down. And yeah, just like your friend, I had to dig into the bottom of my backpack, you know, underneath all yeah. my other stuff, get it out. And by the time I'd actually got the poncho over me, I was soaked. So definitely have it easily deployable in a side pocket or a top pocket of your backpack. And that 60 peel work is magic. Yeah, I know. It really did. It really did. So a bit of poncho magic there. What about um, <laughs> something that you... Uh, it's quite funny because if you ever look at yourself wearing a poncho, me and my fiancé... I look will, an absolute idiot. Yeah, yeah you I do. really it's, did. It's, we call ourselves the poncho plebs. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Um, it was the, uh, you, you kind of look at your conical reflection in, in the, you know, and it's kind of, is this really me walking down the street? But you're dry and, you know, you're walking past people, you know, um, living their everyday life and, you know, with umbrellas and you're just strolling past with like 10K on your back. I know, and my 60p, and my yeah, 60p poncho. 60p poncho, like, <laughs> yes, I am living the dream. Um, I <laughs> So um, from the poncho to the thing that you would, couldn't live without and obviously the, the sleeping tablets, um, is there one thing you took with you that you'd never take again if you were to go again? Right, this is a tongue-in-cheek now. Go for because it. I bought four packets of Compede and never used them. I gave them away. Right, OK. I know. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, this is touch wood. Yeah on like a massive scale because I did not need them, thank goodness, but I gave them away to people who did need them. So I'd say that I did take them and I didn't need them for myself, but I took them maybe because other people may have needed them. Yeah. So that's uh, my one item, I think, that I didn't use myself. It's funny, like, getting back to blisters and compi because... Um, when I was in Burgos, actually, and I, I had had some bad blisters prior to that, um, there was like a medical team that came into the Alberg area. Did you stay in the in the one with the the log cabin Alberg in in the in the park kind of thing? No, right, no, okay. but we I'm stayed in something similar, and that's my crying story. Right, okay, we look forward to this then. <laughs> we say the best till last. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, one of this this kind of foot nurse, she said to me like she's t she swore that. I shouldn't use compede and it was really, really bad. And maybe a better alternative would be sports tape if you do have a hot spot to put sports yeah. tape over it instead of compede. Because when I actually had some compede on and I ripped them off, sorry if you've just eaten, but um, it takes all your skin off. the skin off with it. And then you, like yeah. you said, you just live with this raw piece of stinging skin. And it's, 
it's really a, an unpleasant sensation. So um, if you are looking for some, uh, if you are looking for some more advice on blisters, go and listen to episode four of this podcast. And we've got six ways or five ways, I think it was, to uh, bust blisters. So um, yeah, that's another topic for another um, episode. So um, we've got your crying story still to come. We we look <laughs> forward to that. Um, is there anything you bought on the way that you wish you'd packed before leaving? Definitely. Um, I bought some uh, skull gel insoles for my footwear, just for extra comfort. And I've actually compared prices. I don't even know why I've done this, but I paid 19 euros for them right. in Spain. And then when I came home and had a lot, they were probably at six pounds. So I just think if I could have done the journey again, I probably would have bought them back home and took them because I found that in every pharmacy um, in Spain, Compede and everything for the feet was so much more expensive mm. because, you know, if you're stuck and you need things. So I wish I'd bought gel insoles over here beforehand. And the second was mosquito repellent. And if I can possibly have a third... Yeah, antihistamine, antihistamine tablets. Okay. A bit of hay fever, was it? No, not at all. I just became unstuck. Um, it was at Castilian. It was walking by a canal. And I think we did that early morning, probably about five, half past five in the morning. And we walked six kilometres by the canal, which was still water. And I got absolutely attacked by mosquitoes right like really bad really bad <laughs> so um insect repellent definitely is something you yeah definitely it. definitely yeah. In, you know the spray like the insect mm -hmm. repellent and definitely antihistamines because i paid a fortune for medication in the pharmacy like after right. the event so i wish i'd took those Okay, so anyone uh, listening that thinks they might uh, that might, mosquitoes normally like taking a little bite out of them, definitely um, invest in a little bit of that. And you said the the inner soles for your for your trail runners, right? Yeah, the gel in soles, yeah. The gel definitely. in soles for your trail runners and the antihistamine. Sorry, I might, if I've missed something, but is it because you suffer from hay fever? Or is it that? What's that? What's the purpose of no, that? No, it's because like at home, I should have known this already, but at home. Like, if I get bitten by a horsefly or a midge or like whatever it is, mm -hmm. I react quite bad. Oh, okay. So when I was away, I got bit really bad, like, across both arms, all across my legs, all across my tummy, and the itching was, like, unbearable. Right. And when it happened, I think, was going into from a stair. So we weren't at a chemist until we went to Sahagun, which was, I don't know how many kilometres away. Yeah. And I suffered for like, it must have been two days yeah. before I could get to a proper pharmacy. Oh, so that, that so helped you deal to, with the bites, basically? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it just stopped the itching. Well, not much, but calmed it down a little bit right. and took away the inflammation as well. But if anyone's going out, like about to set off before Burgos and is prone to insect bites, definitely take some antihistamine because I think I paid... 10 euros for seven tablets. Yeah, you can get those for like a pound in Asbury, 29 pence, yeah. I know. If you're in America, so, you'll get them for cheap in Walmart or whatever, yeah. So. I know, but definitely just take some because don't get caught out like I did. Great advice. Thank you very much for that. Um, now, let's talk about some of your favourite stuff rather than some of your challenges. Um, what was your favourite Alberg um, or place you stayed? Because it sounds like you only stayed in one Alberg. So a favourite uh, place you stayed. Um, uh, could be a hotel, could be an Alberg, pri a private one, hostel, wherever. So my favourite place had to be Leon. Right. Um, it was so special as we met like quite a lot of the other pilgrims we bumped into along the way. And after that, after that, we didn't see them again. So I suppose Leon was my favourite place. However, my favourite albergue must have been the monastery at Sahagun. Right. So we stayed with priests that night in the monastery and they made us feel so welcome. And I was suffering with really bad mosquito bites that night. And we walked there in the pouring rain. I'd just been able to get to a pharmacy to get um, some antihistamines and some cream for my bites. And I was so upset. And I think when we rang the bell and they let us in, I just burst out crying. 
I was just so emotional because I was soaking wet through. I was just, my skin felt like it was crawling and I just burst out crying. And I just, like the priest said, oh, is it um, bed bugs? And I said, no, it's mosquito bites. And they gave us a room on our own um, and it had a private bathroom and it had a bath. So I was so excited. So you had a good soaking. Like, oh, I just, I just, I just sat in the bath and I just cried. And I just think, you know, you take so many things for granted. But that day, I was just so low. I was so low. And I thought, I'm just in agony. And I'm like, no one can help me. Do you know what I mean? It's like my friend like had a blisters, but she had stuff to put on her feet. Who can help me? No one. And this poor priest, I just said, I'm, I'm just upset. I'm all right but I'm just in a bad way. And it just took us to our room and it was just beautiful. And it was just two single beds and it had a cross above the bed and it had like, I don't know, like an, a, an open window and we could hear the church bells ringing. And then when I opened the bathroom door, there was a bath and that is all I wanted. So for the best albergi, I'd say it was the monastery at Sahagun. So and if you've got an opportunity yeah. to stay there, please do, because they are so accommodating and such beautiful people. And they really are. your spirits. They did. They did. It was just what I needed. I think moments like that often on the Camino are quite defining as well, because that's the moment where you look back and think, you know what, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. Yeah. And as, yeah. as cliched and as cheesy as it sounds, these aren't challenges that we normally encounter in everyday life. Uh, mm. and, and most people would go on a holiday and go and sit around a pool for, for two weeks and do nothing and just eat all-inclusive food and drink all-inclusive yeah. drinks. But you've gone out and walked, you know, 20, 30, whatever, however many kilometres a day, oh, yeah. braving the elements, braving mosquitoes, you know, dealing with bites and, you know, all kinds of challenges and obstacles. And, and, and it's just that sometimes that little extra special welcome that, that just makes everything extra special and turns an ordinary day into an extraordinary day. And um, I think those are the reasons that people do get addicted to the Camino and yeah. and the just the challenges and and the buzz of being outdoors and <laughs> and I think that's what in the end of the, at the end of the day that's what us humans are, are programmed for we are programmed to be outside in the elements dealing with things like this and I think in some ways though it's some kind of some kind of suffering with this, the growth that, that comes from that suffering that gives us that pleasure and we can look back on. And, and um, I, I love hearing stories like that and moments like that because they are the defining moments many times of, of people's journeys. So it's nice to hear that um, that place, you know, the, the monastery alberg in Sahogun was, um, was the place you'll remember and probably because it was one of the most difficult days. Yeah, it was. So... Um, Talking of, of good places, where there's, was there a place you didn't stop, you were walking through, but thought, you know what, I wish I'd have stayed here, or, or if I'm going to come back and do the Camino, I'm going to stay here next time? I think we spent just enough time in everywhere, because we knew that it was just, um, you know, like a fleeting visit. Yeah. And I just think, I think I'd already accepted that before we went, so I knew that I couldn't get attached to you know, like a certain or a certain town or a certain albergue. I knew that we were just there for a short amount of time that I didn't want to nap. I felt like I didn't want to sleep. Like some pilgrims like got to a place and, you know, they had to sleep for a few hours. And I knew that is not what I wanted to do. So I've tried to stay awake. I tried to speak to the locals, speak to the albergue owner, enjoy the facilities. And I do think that, you know, we stayed just enough. About, I mean, there's albergues that I wish that, oh, goodness, like, do you do two nights here? Because there was, like, albergues with pools, with hammocks that, you know, sell delicious food and different things. But I do feel that, there was a reason why we just stayed the amount of time we did because there was no getting attached to people. 
And that is what I would struggle with the most. It's like, you know, meeting people, getting attached, enjoying the company. And it's that that I didn't really want to do because that's what I struggle with. So when we stayed somewhere, we were shown the hospitality that we, we were shown. Um, we were shown the compassion. People helped us. People went beyond what they really had to do. And then because we left, especially in the Masetta stages, like the early stages of the Camino, we was up at about five o'clock and ready to go by quarter past. So we didn't re- I didn't really feel that, oh, I would have liked to have stayed here longer or I would have liked to have stayed here throughout. And I think we planned a rest day in Saria and we forgot it. I thought, I don't want to stay here. We just carried on. We just carried on. So you wanted to keep the momentum going? Yeah, we did, because it just, I felt when I got up in Saria, I thought it looks like a fairground. It looks like a theme park. There was so many people, mm. you know, starting off doing the 100 kilometres. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, I don't like it, and I really struggled. Mm. I really struggled with you know that what? morning. In some ways, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that, because I felt quite bad about myself, really, that when I got to Saria, I felt it was a bit of a pantomime as well. Um, yeah. And sadly, I felt there was a lot of people joining the trail in Surrey that were there more for a party than a pilgrimage. Uh, Definitely. And Definitely. For me personally, um, it wasn't how far people were walking on the Camino. You know, if they're just walking 100 kilometres, brilliant. As far as I was concerned, the more the merrier. But it was the spirit in the way they were walking the trail. Definitely. That people weren't always as considerate in the albergs. You know, they'd be up late talking and mm. while people that are obviously have maybe already got 900 kilometres in their boots were trying to sleep mm. and they didn't really understand the ethos and they weren't as respectful as those <laughs> I felt that had walked f- further. And so Definitely. in some ways, you make me feel less guilty for feeling like that because I, I have always felt guilty for feeling for feeling like that, but... That was just my experience, and it sounds like it was your experience as well. So it was, um, and it, it also was. sounds like that you know um, you squeezed as much out of every place you stayed in as you could. Like I say, you didn't uh, snooze a siesta. You did go out and talk to people. You 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 know you interacted with the locals. You interacted with your fellow pilgrims, and and that's nice to hear that you know you got the as much as you possibly could out of every place. And so you left you know with with peace of mind that you'd you'd seen and done enough and was you know happy to move on yeah we were we were and it's like when we stayed in saria we did our washing um and everything else and um i said to nancy you know about probably about eight o'clock half past eight we're ready to get to sleep and i mean i'm not disrespecting this family but there was a family there i think they were french i don't know came in at like quarters to 10 and was really loud and stuff. And it was just disheartening, you know, and they were having the bag shipped on and there's Nancy and I. I thought, we're carrying ours. We're Mm. carrying our bags. You know, and they were really loud. There was a bit of ill feeling. And then when we woke up and we like went outside, there was like hundreds and hundreds of people and they were all fashion conscious and there was us. Do you know, you know what, Alison? You make, me feel a, you, you make me feel a lot better about how I felt <laughs> because everything you're saying is mirroring exactly my sentiments about how, how the Camino became in, in Surrey. And for me, like I just, you know, reiterate, it wasn't about how, how far they were walking. It wasn't whether they were carrying their backpacks or not. It was just the spirit in which they were doing it and treating it more of a party than a pilgrimage. I mean, that that's absolutely yeah. fine, but there are people like you that, you know, were carrying your own bags. That doesn't make you any better or, or worse. It's just obviously um, for those that have got ailments and injuries or, you know, knee problems, that's a massive help. But yeah. whether you're carrying your own bags or whether you're walking 100 or 800 kilometres, just be respectful, considerate when people are sleeping in the albergs. Just, you know, just be conscious of that and try and keep your, your noise down. Prepare your bags outside the rooms, not inside the rooms while people are sleeping. And I have to admit, when I woke up one morning, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was somewhere around Astorga, something like that, and there would have been a load of mm-hmm. loud people. And these people were, these people were, um, um, 
yeah, they were making a lot of noise the night before, and I just thought, shall, shall I put some rocks in their backpack? Shall I do it? Shall I not? Shall I take the laces out of the boots? Shall I or shall I not? I didn't, but I'm not going to lie. The thought definitely crossed my mind. Um, I know. Just as a bit of childish revenge. But anyway, I didn't do it, and uh, I never would, but it did cross your mind. Such is the the change of, uh, yeah, clientele, the change of people that you meet around the 100-kilometer mark. Um, so... That's again. That's part. Of, that is part of the personal growth as well. Uh, it is part of the character building because you know, in some ways, it is a gift that you are able to, you know, um, practice patience and and um, and maybe you can start looking at the positives because you know, when I was thinking things like this, I was thinking, well, I've paid a fiver to stay here, so that's a positive. So mm. if I paid 50 quid to stay here or a hundred, it might be different. I might be throwing my rattle out of the pram, but I've only paid a fiver. That's a good thing. I'll stick my, my earplugs deeper into my ears and just try and ignore it. Um, yeah. But it's not easy. That's, you know, it's easier said than done, but any other lessons from, you know, your time on the road? Hello. 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 Sorry, I lost you there, Alison. Oh, it's all right. I'm still here. Right. Um, I don't know if you heard my last question. Was that? Were there any other lessons from your time on the road? Um, I don't think I'd do a single thing differently. I don't think anything can prepare you for the Camino, but the Camino, you pack preferably without plastic bags, because I believe pilgrims with plastic bags are like, the most despised people on the pilgrimage. And if you want to take photos, do so. You know, and if you want to stop, you must. Every day, I think something different got my attention. And I'm so glad I walked it rather than went on a bicycle because those people on bicycles, they must have missed so much so much and a past one well there was one like really really bad accident that happened um in front of me and I, I often think about that boy wondering what happened to him and if he was all right I couldn't help because I've not got like first aid experience but I just think on a bike I know you get the same Compostela at Santiago but I just think walking it's a completely different experience it really is. Um, and in terms of lessons, if, if there was a takeaway from, from your time in the Camino that you can apply to everyday life, were there any, any standout insights? Because sometimes these, these insights come with time and they don't always come straight after the Camino. But was there anything you're travelling back home thinking, I'm going to do this differently from now on or I'm not going to do any of that again? Anything that stands out? I wouldn't do a single thing differently and not a single thing because every day I woke up and I thought, right, here we go, I'm ready to walk. And I did, and every day something different stood out to me. And I'm thinking one particular day we was walking and it was quite a long stretch um, and was walking and I remember thinking, who planted the trees on this side of the road? They got it wrong. They could have done with planting the trees on the other side of the road to stop the sun from getting us. So we was walking and I was just drawn to the wildflowers. So Nancy was like going ahead and every so often I just stopped and I took a photograph of them and some were pink, some were purple, some were yellow. And I included them in the video that I was going to post on Facebook, family and friends. And I thought, oh, I sound really pathetic here. But that's what I was drawn to. And I remember saying in my video, I don't know why, but I've been drawn to the wildflowers on the way. And I like, I, I, I like included all these flowers. And my mum said to me, and so did my friend, this was the best video yet. Like every day I was drawn to something quite different. And I think if you were on a bike, you'd miss that. Yeah. You'd miss that. But I didn't. I didn't. So that day I was just drawn to the wildflowers and it was just beautiful. It was lovely. So you're glad that you, you made the decision to walk it because it 
helped you connect with everything that was going on around you, the sights, the sounds, the smells? Definitely. Def and there were times, and uh, Nancy said to me, you know, if such a thing happens or if whatever happens, you know, we can get the bus. And I thought, I'm not getting the bus. I'm just not. Like, we met a couple of pilgrims along the way that, for one reason or another, decided to jump 52 kilometres, like, whatever. And I just said to Nancy, while I could walk, I'm going to walk. And I'm so glad that I did. Because there were weak moments in both our lives, our stories, that we could have. But I just said, we need to. We need to do this properly and just to walk it. And we did it. We did it. Yeah, I mean, so for those that are taking a bus, sometimes they've got, you know, uh, I guess, issues, pressing issues of time, or maybe, they, you know, there's an injury they want to get a rest from. But I think you do get the most out of your Camino if you're walking it nonstop uh, through through hiking the Camino. Um, yeah, totally agree with you on that one. And for those um, thinking about walking the Camino, but they're sitting on the fence about whether they should go or not. What would you say to convince them that it's the right thing if to you, go? If you can walk, do it. Because they say that the Camino de Santiago is directly under the Milky Way. And I, like, when I read and researched and everything, they said that miracles do happen and that, you'll be looked after and that the Camino provides. And I had that thought in my mind before I went. I thought, the Camino will provide, so don't worry about booking accommodation, don't worry about food, don't worry about water. The Camino will provide. And you know, it actually does. It actually does, because I was not worried in the slightest. And I'm thinking, when we was on the way, we passed shrine upon shrine upon shrine of people that didn't make it, of people that had fallen along the way. And, you know, I just stopped. I had a moment and I carried on. And I think I'm just a normal girl from Staley Bridge. You know, I've not got any, like, huge walking experience or I'm not someone who's, like, heavily into outdoor pursuits. I'm just a normal girl. And I thought, I can, I can do this. I can do it. And I did. And I just think anyone who can walk, who can live on the basics of life, I'd, I'd, I'd say go and do it. Go and do it because it's just brilliant. And it is life-changing, but it's life-changing for everybody in different ways. Not everybody gets the same thing out of it. So if, if what you're saying is if you can do it and you describe yourself as just a normal girl from, from Staley Bridge, I'm sure there's a, a lot more to you than that, Alison, because by the sounds of it, you know, you're a teacher and a mother of two boys and a very good friend. But, um, you know, if you can do it, anyone can do it. Definitely, definitely. And you said, you know, everyone gets gets different things out of it. On the plane home, since you've been home, I know you've not been home a long time. What do you feel you did get out of it? You know, you, it, my peace of mind from your, your friend passing away, uh, a restoration of your faith, anything else, any other life lessons, any, any takeaways that you could say, thanks to the Camino, I've had this aha moment. It doesn't always have to be like that. For some people, you know, they've just walked and they've got... They, you know, maybe they've lost some weight, maybe they, they feel fitter, maybe they feel more positive, more empowered. Um, anything for you? I feel like if you've got two of something, you can afford to give something away. And the only example I've got is um, we met a pilgrim from Australia. She won't mind me mentioning her name. She's called Angela. And she had a day pack and she was sending a luggage like, to the next stop and she said oh I'm really struggling to dry my socks and, I, and she was like I could just do with a safety pin and I had two and I thought I can afford to give one away so that's what I did and I gave her one away I gave one away and I think that is like I don't know it was just one of their moments that I thought yeah if you have got two of something and you only need one we'll give the other away that's a nice thought so actually, that yeah 
Yeah, and that was one of the moments that I thought, I'll, I'll remember this. I will remember it. And it's like everybody was willing to help you if they could. So if they had two of something, they could afford to give to give you something. So that was one of the main things. So, yeah, whatever. And that's something we can apply to life as well, isn't it? I mean, if you've got too much of something, not necessarily just two of something, but too much of something, you can always afford to share and or donate and you know even if it's something as simple as walking along the street and you see a homeless person you've got a fiver in your pocket do you need that fiver and it's and relating that to the Camino you've mentioned it before that people often on the Camino whether it's locals or whether it's your hospitaleros in the in the albergs people often go above and beyond for you um and yeah, i experienced really that in a in a park in burgos um there was a big festival going on a load of locals they had um just plates and plates and plates of paella and they just came and donated these massive saucepans pans of paella for all the pilgrims that were staying there and those kind of mm. things happen on a daily basis and you could, i could actually see how some people do walk the camino penniless and applying that to your post Camino revelations you know if you have got too of something or too much of something you can afford to give it away and that in, in essence is yeah it's is true you know spirit of, of sharing and and for want of a better word and sounding very um very cliched sharing and caring and it is that spirit and that ethos along the way that does make your time so special even like you're walking past the house I don't know if you ever saw this but I saw this on a few occasions and just outside someone's house they've just got like a a water cooler where you could just pour yourself a drink and it says no money just free get yourself a drink and the fact that people just mm. think to do that for people is you know you like you say you wish every day life could be like every day on the Camino where where people are, are caring yeah. and looking out for each other in some ways that restored your faith um, in humanity which is is lovely to hear and you know um, a happy ending to your Camino in a way and we're talking about the the, the some of the good things. What would you say is the hardest part of the Camino? Oh, the hardest part. Oh, if I'm honest, the Masetta. Tell us why. So for numerous reasons, it was hot with little shade. I was worried that I wasn't drinking enough. And it was at that point that I saw the bicycle accident. So we was going up like a slope and it was like white rocks that you could slip easily on. So he, like, came past me, like, zooming past me, and it was a young boy, and then there was a summit, and then he went over this streak of a screen. Never forget it. I'll never forget it. And I said to Nancy, what on earth is that? And when we got to the top, there was, like, a farmer waving his arms, waving his arms. And then when we got down, there was a boy in a ditch, and he had skin tears like you can never imagine. He was in such a bad way. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. So he got over the top and then gone down the other side and lost control and ended up in a ditch. And I felt my backpack weighed so heavy on this stage. It really did. And it was just, when is it going to end? Because there was just no shade. And when we got to, like, the next stop, um, my friend Nancy, she inquired about the... She said, it was okay. Um, He is walking, but obviously he's had to forfeit his Camino. And that stayed with me quite a lot. You know, I thought, I wonder how he is and I wonder how he's doing and and stuff like that. So it's kind of when you're... you're mother, I suppose that was the hardest your, part. Your mother, the instinct kicked in there. I struggled. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was hard. he was crying. Mm. It was hard for numerous reasons then. One, because there are memories of the, of the lad um, coming off his bike. And two, because... It is mm. bloody hard, the um, the meseta, isn't it? I mean, for those who don't know, between Burgos and Leon, there's around about 200 kilometres of pretty much flat terrain, but it's very, very dry, very, very barren. Um, shade is very sparse, and you sometimes have to walk. It's underestimated. Mm. You sometimes have to. It's walk. underestimated. Mm. And you sometimes have to have to walk quite far distances between where you can get water and where you can stay. Um, for those that are about to embark upon the, the Mercedes, what advice would you give? 
Oh, well, take an extra pair of shorts and don't be afraid to change mid-bicetta. Because I actually, because of the chaffing between my legs, like, mm. created a hole in my shorts. Right. And I said, Nancy, I'm going to have to change. And I thought, it is what it is. I'm on the mesetta and I'm just going to have to do it. So I had to get out of the shorts that I was in and put a fresh pair on. Take plenty of water and just take it slow. Just make sure you've got plenty of water, you know, even if it's between two of you or something like that, and just cover because there are long stretches with no water, with no shade. Yeah. So yeah. just take plenty of water. That's all I can say. So and just be prepared for every eventuality. Yeah, so plenty of water, maybe some Vaseline for the chafing. <laughs> And um, yeah, oh. maybe a change of clothes if you if you need to along the yeah. way, which isn't always easy if you're you know you're trying to travel light. Um, okay, yeah. so we're like we're going to ask you about the best part of the Camino, and then we'll wrap things up. What do you think is the best thing about the Camino for you, Ellison? Okay, so the best part of the Camino has to be interacting with people on the way, pilgrims priests and nuns giving us a blessing which was amazing and uh, regular people offered us fresh fruit and juice and the use of the bathrooms and all the pilgrims looked out for each other and were willing to help us and you know and um, tell us things and give us things that we needed that was probably the best part of the camino so the, the, the best the, part the brotherhood the spirit of brotherhood along the way it, it was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. It really, really was. And I think it was one part um, where we pulled into this town and I was really tired and there was a long way, a short way. I said, oh, let's take the short way, but it was an up and over. And we, um, this lady, like, beckoned us into a church and we thought, okay, let's go. And Went into this church and we just sat down and thought, I just need a minute, Nancy. And she was like, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. So I sat down and the priest started singing. So, so we just sat there and the priest was singing on his own. And then the lady that invited us in started harmonising. And that was, it was just unbelievable. And that gave me the push to, like, go forth I thought, and I was absolutely overwhelmed. I was crying, and she gave us a beautiful, beautiful necklace with a cross on it. And I thought, I've got the strength to go on now. I have. And we did, and we did, and we made it. And it was so difficult, but we did it. And I just think the people that we've met along the way have been unbelievable. And I remember them for the rest of my life. I really will. And these aren't the kind of people that you come across in everyday life, are they? I mean, no. In everyday, in everyday life on the Camino, you do, but um, you don't, and that's why they, they stick with you. And um, it is the people that, like you said, that raise your spirits along the way when you're feeling mm. like you've maybe reached the end of your tether, like that day you said in Sahagun, where you know the priest gave you that private room with the bath, and you was able to kind of. Uh, you know, heal your bites and stuff. And when you were on a on a low as well, the the, um, the priest and this lady that beckoned you in did the same for you there. So um, definitely, yeah, that's that's a lovely story as well. Okay, so we're going to finish um, a parting piece of advice uh, for anyone about to walk the Camino. Um, let's say tomorrow, for example. What would you say? Okay, if you've lost your faith. Walk the Camino. If you want to feel peace, walk the Camino. If you feel like, I don't know, life is rushing by, walk the Camino. I walk the Camino with an open mind. And I found myself looking at wildflowers along the way, standing in awe of sunsets, saying a prayer for those that died along the way as I passed shrines at the end. I was truly thankful that I was alive and well. And the love I felt for my family and friends was all I could think about. That's about it. That's you, about it. Would you say you came back from the Camino feeling, um, let's say, more positive about life and more empowered and, and ready to go again for work? Well, I came back to work and, I mean, God forgive me for saying this, but my boss said, did you do it? And I went, of course I did. And she went, was it life-changing? And I said, I wouldn't say life-changing. 
I'd say I see the world in a different way. And that's all. That's how I left it. And no one's asked me anything about it since. But I just feel at peace and at ease. And I just feel that the world is an amazing place. And what it has to offer is amazing as well. And that everyone should enjoy it for what it is. Don't be like my friend Lee and give up too early. Mm. That's what I'd say. Well, let's dedicate this this podcast to your friend Lee. And, you know, I'm really... It's lovely to hear that you got the, you know, the piece that you was looking for at Cruz de Ferro, which is, you know, the highest point of the Camino, where you can, you know, leave a gift. And and I'm sure wherever Lee is now, he he feels that peace and that love from you. And um, I'm sure you're going to give strength to a lot of other pilgrims that maybe are about to walk the Camino for similar reasons. Because let's be honest, a lot of us do walk it when, you know, we go on that, epic journey with with questions to answer so um, I'm glad you were able to get some peace and maybe find some closure on that and you know restore your faith and I cannot thank you enough for giving me and all the listeners an hour and 10 minutes of your of your valuable time especially when it's just come after you finish work for the day so um, I hope your friends and family have enjoyed reliving your Camino as well through your story and and um, buen camino fellow peregrina oh, thank you so much Brad oh no it's a pleasure it's a pleasure and um, and yeah it's been brilliant I cannot thank you enough for your time you sound like you deserve a glass of wine now or something like that oh thank you so much Wandering wanderer uh-huh.